This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. ...here tonight. Is Jesus writing, uh, writing letters to the angel or to the pastor of the church and presenting a message through that venue to those people? And this message that's given has addressed the strengths that they have and also the weaknesses that they have. And I know throughout this series, we've probably put a lot of focus on the elephants in the room, as it were. Um, and, and we've touched on some of the commendations that have been given. But I just want to touch on something here tonight as we conclude in this series, and it is this, is that while we talk about the elephants in the room, I want to make sure that I also address the commendations. This series has afforded me an opportunity to take a little bit of liberty and address some things that I feel are areas as a church that we can improve on because, quite frankly, no church is a perfect church. Can I get a witness? No church is a perfect church. If you go somewhere that's perfect, just leave. Don't poison the well. <laughs> that wasn't very nice. <clears throat> no, if you go somewhere that's perfect, you're not looking hard enough. If you go somewhere that's perfect, you're seeing it through rose-colored lenses. And sometimes we live in a culture or society that, that impacts us where we get this, this grass-is-always-greener mentality. Oh, can I get some help here tonight? The idea that it's always better somewhere else. Let me tell you where it's best, though. It's best when you are operating in the will of God. That's the greenest grass that you can live in. It doesn't always feel the best. It doesn't always look best to our perception. But the best place that you can be is in the will of God. The best, the, come on, someone just help me here tonight. The best place that you can be is in the will of God. When you are out of the will of God, you will constantly find struggle. When you're outside of the will of God and still trying to be in his church, and I don't mean in an organization or in a body, I mean to be in his greater body and to be in alignment in relationship with him. When you're out of the will of God and in his church, you will, you will be in some of the greatest conflict that you could possibly imagine. But when you walk in harmony, in the will of God. It may be a harder road to walk on, but it's an easier life to live because the conflict isn't there. Let, let me tell you, there, there, and I, I wonder if I could get a couple of witnesses here tonight, that there have been seasons in your life where you've been through some very difficult trying seasons, but you knew that you were in the will of God. And all you needed was a word. All you needed was a word from the Lord. And when God speaks to you and gives you his word, you can say, look, everything else seems like it's so contrary to this, but I know beyond the shadow of a doubt I'm in God's will. And if you've not been in that place where you, where you know that you're operating and functioning in the will of God, I want to share something with you today that it is not his will for you to live in confusion. God is not the author of confusion, and it is his will for your life to be in, har first of all, to be in harmony with him. God's, we, we say, and it's not, it may not be real popular, but I think it's so true, that we say that God is less concerned about us being happy, and he's more concerned about us being saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should be happy. It's like, now what that says... <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, 
He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And repentance is really not a very happy place to be until you finally make that turn. And when you finally make that turn and put some things behind you, oh, the joy of turning to him and being in his will. So if you're in that place where you say, well, I'm trying, but I don't know what the will of God is for my life, and I feel like there's confusion there, I just want to encourage you here tonight. God is not the author of confusion. That he is, we read that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. And he wants to write that and to make that clear for you. Tonight, where you are, where we sit here this evening, <clears throat> you, I believe that each and every one of you, you're in the will of God by being here together. Amen. It's like, like seven people that are like, I agree. And the rest are like, well, let's see how the rest of this goes. And then I'll tell you. It's not coincidence or happenstance that you're here. Now, I mentioned this to our department heads last night because there was a department head meeting, and I briefly spoke to them, and Brother Collins is overseeing our department heads, and he's doing a great job. I want to express my appreciation to him and to our department heads for really doing just a phenomenal job. <clears throat> I shared this with them, and it, and it resonated, I think, fairly deeply, that I, so much so that I wanted to share this with us here tonight, and it is that I think over the last several weeks, you've probably felt a little bit of pushing, a little bit of pushing and, and like just kind of like, come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's keep going. Let's not settle for less. Let's not settle for second best. Like, let's not compromise, right? We've been talking about, we talked about the church of compromise and we don't want to be compromised. You've been feeling a little pushing, a little pushing, a little, little pressure that's been putting on and a little kind of like, why don't you leave me alone and stop talking about all these issues in my life? Like, like, what are you doing? And it's pushing, pushing, pushing. And the reason for that is, is, is not just because I don't like you, although that may be the case. No, I, no, I, I do. I do. Well, no, I love you. I love you. But the scripture doesn't say I have to like you. So, no, I do. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> no, but it's, the reason is this. The reason is this, is because one of the things that we have felt recently as a, not just in this local church, but in Christianity and Christendom in, in, in general, in, in the work of the, the true work of the kingdom, is we have felt tremendous pressure and pushback from the world, naturally, but also, that's only a reflection of what's happening spiritually. Let me just be clear about some things. If you... What happens in the natural, right, is a reflection of what's going on in the spiritual. And we've been feeling a pushback in the natural. And it, anybody? No? No? Like everyone's just, just free sailing and everything's just smooth and easy, right? You've been feeling a pushback. I shared the story last night with the department heads, I want, and, and I just feel, I feel led, I put a lot of time in prayer into this, so I feel led to share this tonight. When I, when I go to the Boundary Waters, I try to go annually. When I go, the best time to get on the water is early in the morning, when the water is like glass, and there's no wind, and you just put your canoe in, and you just glide across the water. It's so cool. You, you paddle once, one stroke, and you just, you just seem to go and go and go. It's, there's, no, there's so little resistance. But as the day wears on, are you following me? As the day wears on and the climate changes, the resistance increases. And the work that you put in on the easy part of the day doesn't get you nearly as far as the work that you need to put in now. So much so that if you, if you in the early morning, if you just take your paddle and stroke and you just kind of keep, you'll just keep going. You've got what's called momentum. But when the wind is against you and the waves are against you, and you put that paddle in, and you put the same, exert the same effort, and if you were to just stop, you know what happens to all your momentum? It's gone. 
It's like it wasn't even there. Is anybody, are you following me? That as one of the reasons you've been feeling a pushing and a pushing and a pressure and, a, and, 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 a, and a maybe even a little bit of a prodding a little bit is because I personally believe that there is a breakthrough that we are about to get to. And I don't want us to stop short of that breakthrough and, and lose momentum and lose ground and lose territory. Is that okay? So you're hearing this not because I, I'm upset or angry or don't like you. You're hearing, well, Sister Lee, I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's not for those reasons, sis. Well, um, no, um, th- that just makes it easy. That's just smooth. No, the reason is because we're nearly, we're nearly at a breaking point. And you know what that breaking point is? That breaking point is, it, I, I, just, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight, so I'm just going to operate in the Holy Ghost. That breaking point is not just, let's just keep having good church. The breaking point is, is apostolic where it spills into the streets. It spills not, not just at 4,000 Quincy Street Northeast, not just at this location, but in your life groups, in, in your Bible studies, in your personal homes, in our elements classes that are coming up. Like, it's the spillover. It's, we, it, that is the breakthrough that's coming. Where we don't need to worry about <laughs> a building. Come on. But if we stop short, if we stop short, if we stop when we're so close, and I, I hear, it's, I, I feel like I'm standing at, at, the, at the back of the boat and everyone's rowing and I'm just going, stroke, stroke, stroke. <laughs> And I hear the voices saying, we're doing everything we can. And I hear you. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying paddle harder. I'm not saying suck it up. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm going to crack the whip. I'm not saying increase the taxes. We got plenty of that going on. Well, anyway. But what I am saying is this. What I am saying is that while we're this close, I, I just, as a pastor, I believe that God has given vision. And maybe when you're rowing the way that you're rowing, you don't see the same vision. All you see is the same water. And you're like, this doesn't look like we're getting any closer. I feel like God has given vision, and we're getting there. We're getting closer and closer and closer. Amen. Is this okay? At the beginning of 2020, leading up to 2020, um, there were a lot of themes and... um, I guess maybe mainly just themes for whether it's churches or for companies and events that were all centered around, does anybody, 2020, remember what that was? Vision, right? It was like super easy. 2020 vision. And, and, and you could say, well, that's ironic because with 2020 vision, nobody saw what was coming, coming. But, it, but it's not ironic because by the end of 2020, we actually saw things a whole lot more clearly. The enemy had been unveiled, and we could see so much more clearly. Ready for this one? Ready for this part? We've never really done a theme for the church uh, at the beginning of a year. We didn't in 2020, and I was really glad because I didn't want to have egg on my face. 
Um, but at the beginning of this year, the Lord did impress upon me a theme for greater life for this year. And does anybody know what that theme is? Together. Together. Say that, say that together. Together. That sounds so much better. 2022, together. And like the irony of 2020, one of the things that has been happening this year, and I don't mean like just, oh, locally at this church, there's scandals, fires coming left and right, but I'm saying in general, what's happening in our world, what we see physically is a reflection of what's going on spiritually. And right now, this world is as divided as it's ever been. Look, there is division everywhere. Everywhere. So much so that people of like precious faith, we can have surface-level conversations, but if I start getting into some serious conversations all of a sudden, there's going to be division. Oh, oh, I don't like what you said about that. Not you personally, but like, you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I don't like what you said about that, and so I'm not going to sit by you anymore. <laughs> Which is why I just sit up in the corner, because I'm like, I just... <laughs> Tim, are you getting up? Brother Marchand, are you getting up? He's like... Where even the closest friendships of, of years, like people that have been friends since childhood, that haven't, they've been fine on the surface level, but then when it starts to get into some things, all of a sudden little, those, those crevices begin to widen. Division. And, and it's not just, hear me, it's not just what's happening in the natural it's something that's happening in the spiritual. And the natural world has no way to deal with this. But the church has a way to deal with this. The natural world, they don't know what to do about division. They just cause more division. And then they try to legislate morality. You can't legislate morality and force people to believe what you believe. Right. I'm setting up a warning here tonight to help us. Let us not allow division to come in the church. Because whether you realize it or not, you need the people that are close to you. Oh, I'm, I, I'm, I know this is a Bible study, and I'm going to get into some scripture in just a minute here. But whether you realize it or not, you need to be close to people to have relationships with them. Whether you realize it or not, proximity, which means closeness, is important to relationships. If you don't believe me, how well do long-distance relationships work, typically? Typically. They, typically, they don't. They worked for, it worked for these two, but I think if we were to take a picture of you, we could put it in the dictionary next to the word atypical. <laughs> There's validity there. Long-distance relationships are so, so challenging to manage. And at the beginning of this year, I felt impressed in the Holy Ghost that our, our desire as a church would be together, together, together. And do you know what the enemy did with that? The enemy said, okay, challenge accepted. And the enemy started to get to work. Not, not because anyone's doing anything bad or wrong or sinful or evil or anything like that, but the enemy is exploiting weaknesses. Because, you know why though? Because we're not as close 
as we should be. Think of it like this. In the great state of Minnesota, the two seasons that we have, winter and construction. Right? You know why we need so, one of the reasons why we need so much road construction? Because of winter. That's exactly right. You get a little crack in the road, and then moisture gets in there. And what happens when, in the winter with moisture? It expands as it freezes, and then it gets bigger. And then in the spring, that hole, that hole just gets smaller again, right? Nope. It just stays big, and the more that you drive on it, the, the bigger it gets. And then the next winter comes by, and all of a sudden, Volkswagens are being swallowed up. It's like something out of the Bible, like <laughs> the ungodly are swallowed. No, um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, Lee. I think you, you drive a Volkswagen, so I'm sorry about that, bro. <laughs> sorry. It's nothing personal. Nothing personal. <laughs> uh There is, a, there is a strength in closeness and proximity and being together. One of the best things you can do for somebody, we, we, we read this in, the, in all of the churches in Revelation when the Lord is speaking to them, and he says, I know your works, 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 what you do, I know what you're doing, I know what you're doing. One of the best things that you can do for somebody is to be close to them. That's what we do with children, isn't it? If little Violet... My youngest daughter, you're not in trouble, honey, you're good. But if she falls down and, and scuns her knee, what do I do? I bring her close to me, and I hold her. And there's something medicinal about being brought close. Right? There's, there's something soothing about being brought close. We understand as early as 1915, this has been known for over 100 years, that babies, infants, if they don't have touch, they'll die. They won't eat. They won't be soothed. They won't self-soothe. Self Their nervous system won't fully function unless they have touch. A study performed in 1976, it was confirmed that the handling of mammals early in life resulted in increased weight gain, activity, and resilience under stress. Do you realize that one of the biggest things that our world is dealing with right now is a generation of, is generations of people who have not had appropriate relationships. And they have been stunted in their development because of this. Touch for the human baby serves both physical and emotional functions. Institutions surveyed in 1915 reported that a majority of infants under the age of two had died due to failure to thrive, is what they called it, related to the lack of touch and affection. In 1971, a study found that deprivation of touch and movement contributed to later emotional problems. The study also found that cultures in which physical touch towards infants was high had lower levels of adult aggression, but cultures where affectionate touch was low had higher adult aggression. Because touch 
and closeness and proximity matters. Our vision for this year is together. Deuteronomy 32 and 30. You're going to want to write this down. This is a good one. They're all good ones if they're from the, the Word. So but this is a good one. Deuteronomy 32 and 30. You'll recognize it. How could one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight? How could one chase a thousand? Even those odds don't make sense. How could one chase a thousand? That doesn't make any sense. Those odds. Anyone ever been in a fight before? <laughs> He's like, let me tell you a thing or two. <laughs> nope. <laughs> One-on-one, -on -one, okay, you can, you can size some things up. But one-on-two, good luck with that. One-on-three, it's not like it is in the movies. You don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance. But this is, this is saying one puts a thousand to flight. And then two... By, by reason of mathematics, two should put 2,000 to flight. But that's not what the word says. It says 10,000 to flight. That doesn't make much sense. But the only way that we can do that is when we operate together. If one goes over here, and another goes over there, it's just one. But there is a necessity of being together. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, for all of the cynics here tonight, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of the book of the cynic. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's so good. Like, if you read it with that, with that perspective, it's so, like, uh, even if you don't, it's really good. But, like, reading it with that perspective is just more fun. But Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There is a power of proximity and being together. And the enemy, because we are in a war with an enemy, has been working over time in the natural as a reflection of the spiritual to cause fractures, and division. And if we go into battle, if we go into battle and we have weakness between us, the enemy will break that line and we'll get through. Brother Reed, I can say this with full confidence. Can you stand up? Would you, or would you mind? You can finish writing if you want. Okay. I can, and I, I'm, not doing this to put, I'm not doing this to embarrass you or put you on the spot or anything like this. But this is my brother. And there's nothing that will come between us. 
we, we have to, but in order for nothing to come between us, we have to be close. We got to be close. And when we're this close, like when we're this far, <laughs> this is going to be funny. I just, this is funny. When we're, this, when we're this far apart, you can smell my cologne. <laughs> but when we're this close, you can smell my coffee breath. Right? Yeah, it's, okay, you can be seated. Thank you. <laughs> no, the point is this. When we're far enough apart, we can still impress. We can still keep a distance at arm's length and say, we're together in this, and everything's good, but when we're close, that's where our vulnerabilities start to be put on display. When we're close, we begin to realize, I don't like being this close to you. Not you. Andre the Giant? When we're close? You are just a big dude, man. Like, I just, I just can't get, like, <laughs> no one's ever told you that. But when we're close, maybe you start feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Some of you in that scripture in Ecclesiastes, when you fall down and your brother comes to help you get up, you push them away. And you say, well, I'm, not, I'm not soft. What are you talking about? I don't need help. It's like, yes, you do. Some of you would freeze to death rather than getting close to someone. And that's, that's figuratively, but let's talk about like in, let, let's talk about, it's not literal, but let's, that's in the natural, but in the spiritual, right? There's a spiritual. When you fall and you're not close enough to anybody and you're there by yourself, you will be buried in a pit. When you are cold and isolated all by yourself, the enemy will let you freeze to death. He's not going to throw you a lifeline. You need your brother, and you need your sister. And right now, in the natural, plenty of things are going... There are plenty of causes that would cause us to be divided against each other. Political causes, racial tensions, socioeconomic tensions, any, any, any of the above, just where you live and what you drive and what you wear and how you voted or what candidates you like or you don't like or how much money you make or how much money you don't have. All of these things in, in, in your history and your views on history, all of these things are things that easily can cause division. And where I'm coming to us here today is this is that our mission has nothing to do with that. Our mission is greater than whatever that nonsense is going to be. Our purpose in our mission is greater than any of that. Let's not let anything come between us. It's been a series on ants and elephants. Can I tell you that one ant by itself in your house, not a big deal. Probably. But you get a bunch of them together, it's a problem. And you get thousands of them together, it's, it's time to move. Yeah, time to, time to just leave. Light a match and go. No, don't do that. That's not good advice. Um, one ant by itself can carry 10 times its weight. That's pretty incredible. But you put a bunch of them together, they can do all kinds of things. And you, by yourself, with God, you can do a whole lot. But you can't build a colony by yourself. Let me put it like this. We can't build the kingdom by ourselves. Hebrews chapter 10 and 25 well-known passage, not forsaking. It's one thing to just every once in a while miss out on the assembling of ourselves together. But what is taking place here is talking about forsaking. 
and leaving that concept behind. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But hear this, as is the manner of some. In our world today, that's exactly what's happening. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Small wonder, however, that this verse is preceded by, in 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So that when we are gathering together, we are actually gathering together for the good, to stir up one another for love and for good works. That when I hear about, when we get together and you hear about what somebody else is doing, that is your opportunity to stir them up with love. Not to stir up other things. I, okay, anyway. But to stir one another up with love and good works. What, is, what does it mean? I'll, I'm going to throw this out. What does that mean to, th- to stir somebody up with good works? All of a sudden? Encouraging them. Good. Anybody else? Stirring someone up to good works. Yes. Yeah, that's so good. Challenging other people to reach their potential. How many of you like to be challenged? (laughs) Right? Like, I think it's kind of like, consider the source. Right? Like, I don't mind being challenged as long as the right person is challenging me. (laughs) Um, Let me tell you, Never mind. <laughs> Inside thought. Stay there. Malik, yeah. Motivating. He motivates us. Yeah. And sometimes God... What's that? Yeah. To be a better person every day. I want to just be a better person today than I was yesterday. I just want marginal improvement. Progressive improvement. God challenges us. But in that challenge... And I see some other hands, so I'm going to get to you. In that challenging... In that motivating, the Lord has different ways of motivating us, by the way. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he challenges us. All right. Ha, one second. I'll be right back. <laughs> Celebrating with them. Like when they're talking about what God is doing and the doors he's opening and all the things, like celebrating, like, wow, that is awesome. That's incredible. Like, I'm so excited for what God's going to do next. That's so good. All right, Lee, here you go. Ladies first, you know. Um, You know, there's a lot of, there's a, a trillion options to any type of problem or any type of situation. And a lot of times we choose those situations other than obedience. Obedience. What, what, what did God say? But stern. I, I believe to stern, stern each other to obedience. Like you know, you, you know, you need to forgive him right now. You know what I'm saying? And and a lot of times that's the hardest thing to do. I don't want to do that. I don't want to praise God right now. I don't want to. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do one of these million things. Yeah, that's really good. You can keep that there. Stirring people up to good works, even and challenging them. And when when we feel challenged. When we feel challenged, it takes somebody close to you to challenge you if you want to receive it. If, if I've not developed a relationship with you and I start to challenge you, one of the things you're going to say is you're going to be like, who are you? Who are you, who are you to challenge? What, what are you talking about? You haven't, because a challenge, a challenge is making a withdrawal of trust. And saying, will you trust me enough that I can challenge you in this? But if you don't have anything invested, you can't make a withdrawal. 
But listen, we don't have mobile banking in the kingdom where you make withdrawals with your phone and just snapshot like, I love you and I'm praying for you today and that's, that's your contribution. That's not it. That's not it. That's, this isn't verse-a-day uh, relationships because proximity matters. Proximity is important. If you don't think proximity is important, then why did Jesus come to us? Why, why, why did Jesus get down in the dirt, sit at tables with people, enter into homes with people, send his disciples away so that he could meet somebody at a well instead of just by proxy and Zoom call that thing in with writing in the clouds? Proximity is important because it's where, it's where you'll find your closeness with God and your closeness with others. There was a man at the pool of Bethesda, and he was close to his miracle, but not close enough. Until Jesus came. And, and what did the man say when Jesus, uh, when Jesus said, like, how long, like, what, what, what's going on here? He says, I, I have no one to help me. You can stand while this lame man under the porch is baking in the sun and waiting for that pool to stir, and you can stand from afar, and you can say, come on, man, you can do it. That's not going to cut it. Proximity matters. Relationships are important. And I'll throw us and extend us an olive branch here tonight. Don't raise your hand because I think it's probably everybody in here. But how many of us have been burned in relationships? Like some of us, I just can't help it. <laughs> I just can't help it. And let me tell you, <laughs> yeah, we've been burned. And so what we don't want to do we don't want to have another relationship to get burned with again. We want to put up walls and protect ourselves. We want to isolate. Yeah, trust is a trust is built over time. But there's a danger when you isolate. You know that there's a danger when you isolate. Don't take my word for it. This isn't just a study that, I, that we're looking at, human studies, but in the spiritual, there's a danger when you isolate because the enemy is, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's not going to come to the middle of the pack. He's going to find the weak ones on the outside of the pack. It's the... Lesson of the city of Laish. Judges chapter 18, if you're looking for a reference. The city of Laish was the northernmost city of Israel in the kingdom, in the promised land. You could even say in the church. It's a little bit of a stretch there, but give, I'll, I'll just take a little bit. In God's kingdom, at least, on earth, it was, it was the northernmost city. And the Danites not satisfied with their lot and their position and their inheritance, they said, we're going to seek out somewhere else. And what they found was this beautiful northern city that, would, that didn't have any help nearby and had itself isolated from the rest of the nation. And God's own people went against God's own people, wiped an entire city out, and claimed it for their own. There is a danger in isolation because you need people more than you realize. You ever talk to somebody that's been cut off from civilization for a long time? <laughs> they start doing some funny things. I met somebody up in the, uh, in the Boundary Waters once that, that didn't get out much. He was in the woods a lot, talking to turtles and all kinds of things. He was, 
I mean, and he, he, and we started talking about some things, and he, some of his ideas and his framework and reference for life was really, really kind of warped a little bit. Because there's a danger in isolation. Your relationships that you have need to be closer. We don't need to be isolated. The church in Corinth, and I'm going to hurry to a close here tonight. The church in Corinth had several moral problems that they experienced. One of the first things was that they had claims of spiritual superiority over one another. Another thing that Paul referenced is that they sued each other in the public courts. You know what that means? That means if we have a dispute, if you uh, park next to my truck and you ding my door, which is fine because it's like super rusty and it doesn't really matter, but, but what would happen is I would take you to court. And the headline would say, Pastor takes, you know, saint to, to court or, you know, whatever. Like, that's how it would read. It's like, don't you go to the same church? It's like, yeah, well, we go to the same church, but that's not the point. And now we who are supposed to represent Christ are having public feuds and disagreements. That's what the church in Corinth was doing. So they had spiritual superiority. They were suing each other in public courts. They were abusing communion, which meant they were getting drunk when they were supposed to be having communion. And sexual misbehavior. So Paul's writing them a letter. And Paul, he's straight to the point, man. He gets to it. He doesn't mess around. So when Paul's writing them a letter, he says, he's, he's, he's getting to this point. He's going to start to address some, of the, some things. And he says, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, and you're like, from this list, what's the first thing that he's going to mention? He says, first of all, when you come together as a church, what's the first thing he's going to mention? He says, I hear, oh, come on, Paul, give it to him. He says, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Wait a second. You got this whole laundry list of things to choose from, and that's what you start with? Division? Because in Christ's body, you can go through a lot of messy things if you're united. You can go through a lot of, hear, hear me today. You can go through a lot of, in your, in your personal life, you can go through a lot of personal pain if you're determined to get through it. You can go through a lot of heartache and stress if you're determined to get through it. Kobe Bryant, anyone know who Kobe Bryant is? Some of you heard of him? I think it was in 2013. You think so? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> in 2013, the Lakers were in contention for the NBA Finals. And in the last game of the semifinals that they were playing, Towards the end of the game, it was a really intense game, and it had been a long stretch to the Lakers. They had, they had the sixth or the seventh game. Here they are in the seventh game. Now they're playing. And this last, towards the end of the game, it's a tight game, highly contested. And if you know anything about the NBA Finals, as it gets closer to the Finals, those foul calls get a lot, lot looser, a lot more lenient. They start to they let them play a little bit, finally. It's back like the Pistons used to be back in the day. The good basketball. Anyway... Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Kobe had a ruptured Achilles tendon. And if you've ever had an injury like that, you need a stretcher to carry you out while you're you know, asking God for forgiveness because the pain is so intense. 
But what did Kobe do? He got up, made two free throws, and then walked himself off the court. Later on in an interview, when asked, how did you do that? He put it like this. He said, if you hurt your back or you have a hamstring injury and your doctor tells you to lay in bed and don't move, but then all of a sudden you're laying in your bed and in your house there's a fire and your wife and kids are on the second floor, you're not going to care about any of that. You're going to do everything you can to get them out and you won't even feel the pain. And what he was saying was this. Hear me today. He was saying that purpose overrides pain. Purpose. I know there's been pain. I know that we hurt. I know. I know that offenses will come. And sometimes the offenses come from Dan to Laish. You understand me? Sometimes the offenses that we experience are sitting right next to you. (laughs) That's why you have to sit between these sisters. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Forgive me. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. (laughs) Tread lightly right there. That's some thin ice I'm on. Maybe the offense comes from the person holding the microphone. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, pain... Pain diminishes with purpose when you have purpose. Because purpose, purpose in this kingdom, and the perspective of that purpose gives you a whole lot more meaning and value than pain. It is God's intention not for us to be divided or for anything to come between us. But it is is God's intention for us to be united as one, for us to be together. The world is doing everything it can to convince you that it's okay to not be together. In Exodus chapter 10, this is nothing new. In Exodus chapter 10, Pharaoh told Moses, you go ahead and worship. You go ahead. Take all the men and go worship. But you got to leave the wives and the children behind. You go ahead. This was after the swarm of locusts. He said, enough, fine, go and take them. And Moses said, nope, that ain't happening. When Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh settled on the east side of the Jordan River because the land was good for livestock, and Reuben and Gad had a whole lot of livestock, they said, this, hey, look, our contribution is our livestock, and this land is good for livestock, so we're going to settle on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, he got in their faces, and he said, you're just going to settle here while the rest of us go into battle and try to clean out the rest of this land? He said, that ain't happening. And so they made a covenant, and they said, we will we'll settle our people and get our wives and our children. We're going to get everybody ready, but the army of of Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh will come with you into your land and help you with this conquest. That their own purpose of settlement, they didn't, they didn't compromise anything, but they had to go into the land and help their brothers out. You hear me today? That your mission is just as important as my mission because it's not a divided mission. It's a united mission. And if we ever get to the point where what you do is in conflict with what I'm doing, then we're not operating in unity. 
and we're not operating as one united body of Christ. So that's where we bring everything to a stop, like Moses did, and we say, hold on, what's the mission? What's the purpose? What are we here for? Can I tell you, the vision and the mission and the purpose that we have, what we're here for, is we're here to be a light in Minneapolis and St. Paul and the surrounding communities. We are not here to build a kingdom with a personality or a name or a building or a title or anything like that. We are here to work the fields of harvest until Jesus Christ comes. That's why we're here. And I know that's maybe an easy thing to get behind, but what that means is it means we have to do it together. Together. Their response to Moses was, we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. That's pretty powerful. That, come on, that's pretty powerful. And do you know where that's found? Numbers chapter 32 and verse 18. Do you know why that's important? Because I already read from Numbers 32, 30, the same series of discussions that are taking place, that one will chase a thousand and two, ten thousand. And they're saying, because of their unity, They're saying, we're not going to go home. I'm not going to go home. Can you imagine that? I won't go home until you get your inheritance. I won't go home until you get what God has promised you. I, I will not give up. And I wonder if we could adopt that as a family. I'm not going to give up until you get what God has promised you. I'm not going to give up until you are operating at the level that God has for you. Can I tell somebody here tonight that you have gifts and talents, not, not just your abilities, but you have, you have a heart and a love and, 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 and things that you can do in the kingdom of God that you're not operating at yet. Because, because of the land that you're in, we haven't taken it yet. Oh, boy. We've gotten satisfied. We've gotten comfortable. But I'm here to challenge somebody here today. And I wish that we could challenge one another to love and to good works. And that challenge being that, listen, your, your promise and your inheritance hasn't come yet. And so I, maybe I'm in a place where, where I can say that I feel like I'm in a place where I've gotten some things settled. Great. That means I'm just going to leave that go, and I'm going to come with you, and I'm going to be with you to help you to achieve that which God has promised and set aside for you. Let's stand here tonight. Together. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David returns to Ziklag with 600 men. And he finds that all of the women and the children and their possessions have been taken and the city burned to the ground. His companions were supportive insomuch that they wanted to stone him. So... Being a bit discouraged, he started to become encouraged. But the way that he became encouraged is he began to encourage himself in the Lord. And so he inquired of the Lord, and he said, Lord, you you see everything that's happened. What, What do we do? What do we do? And the Lord gave a simple command. He said, pursue, and you will recover all. So 600 men head out from Ziklag, from the burnt remains of Ziklag, and they begin to pursue. And as they pursue, they reach a brook, and at this brook, there were 200 men that were pursuing their spouses and their children, the most important things of any possession that anybody could have in this world. And those 200 men were too tired 
They were too burnt out. They were too fatigued to pursue any farther. So David and the remaining 400 men pursue after them, pursue after the enemy. They, long story short, they find them, they destroy them, completely wipe them all out, and they recover everybody and everything and bring it back home. When they came back home to those 200 men that were at the brook, there were some men that said, look, David, these guys didn't come with us. And these guys not coming with us, we did all the work. That means we get their stuff. Seems right, doesn't it? So messed up. And David says, no. And he makes an ordinance that day, and he says, that's not how this works. That we're in this together. And I realize that there are some that are tired, fatigued, and want to stay at the brook. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to cheer you on and say, come on, you can do it. But if you're too tired and you just need to stay at the brook, stay at the brook, fine. But we're going to take some others and we're going to go out and we're going to conquer. And, and let me tell you something. For those of you that have been battling and you're weary and you're tired, if you can't go on, that doesn't mean you need to go back. Stand your ground. Stay where you're at. Because together, we're still in this together. And when we go out and we conquer and we come back with what the Lord is giving us as a spoil, we're going to say, I brought something back for you. Not to rub it in your face, not to lord it over you and say, look how special and how strong we are, but to help you get back what's been lost. So don't lose ground while you're keeping guard and while you're waiting because God's design is for us to come together. And the reason for this is simple tonight. And I, I, uh, I may end up doing another lesson on this at some point. Um, and actually, I will in the near future, not, not, this e- not uh, in this series because the series is closed. But the reason for this is quite simple. And it is because... As a people, and this is, this is vision casting here tonight, as a people, we have become, I think, satisfied with a little bit of expansion and maintenance. Because maintenance is hard work all by itself. That's tough. But God did not call us God did not call me, and he did not call you to just maintain. He has called us in this hour to possess. We are here, listen, we're going into uh, Father's Day, we're going into family camp. And I don't want us just showing up to family camp going, woe is me and everything's so sad and I wish church was like this out at family camp. No, 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 no. (laughs) we have air conditioning. Thank you, Lord. No, but what I'm saying is this. Let's not get comfortable because God has called us to possess the land. One of the reasons why it's sometimes a struggle is because we're trying to do it alone. We need to do this together. And you'll find as we grow closer together, closer and closer and closer relationally, you will find, and I'm trusting God for this. I'm just stepping out. I'm just trusting God for this. You'll find that as you grow in relationships one with another, you'll find that the person that you're growing in relationship with isn't perfect. Amen. They're not perfect. Look around you. No one is perfect. No one is even close to perfect. You're going to find that you can come with that expectancy. 
But Jonathan and his armor bearer went up to claim to claim a hill and fought off a garrison of Philistines by themselves because Jonathan was and Jonathan was the only one with the sword. Doesn't seem like a very perfect situation. But when you have two that are working together, that are united together, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. But we have to be together. We have to be close. We have to be tight-knit. And the only way that we are going to possess the land, and when I say possess the land, I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually. The only way that we possess this land spiritually is by going into this together. I need you. You need me. But you need one another. We need one another more than we ever have before. And the enemy right now would love to just sow some seeds and water those seeds and fertilize those seeds with false narratives and fake news. But I want to talk to a church here tonight that is standing up against that and saying, no, devil, get behind me. We have no room for that. There's no room for division. There's no room for dissension. There's no room for for, uh, bitterness or arguments or unforgiveness or hatred or negativity or spite or criticism or, or or anything and judgmentalism or anything of that nature. There's no room for that because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we are here one for another to claim the territory and possess the land for our king, for our king. That's what we're here for. Amen. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, Heavenly Father.